Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but we would love to meet you in person. All are welcome, and that includes you. So if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service at the corner of Arthur Ashe Boulevard and Grove in the historic synagogue across from the art museum. Can't make it in person? No problem. We are also live streaming on YouTube. Contact our administrator at tikvatdirector at gmail.com for the link during the week or contact us on our website tikvatisrael.com. There, you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. So I'd like us to imagine a scenario, please. Are you willing to do that with me? I want to invite you to the best coffee shop with coffee so good that it is life-changing, and it will make you feel younger. It will help you get in shape. It will also prepare your taxes before April. So what do you say? You want to go? All right. Okay, well, there's one catch. I mean, there's always a catch, right? Coffee isn't exactly in Richmond. It's actually halfway around the world. You still want to go? Okay, well, here's the thing. There's another catch. So it's in another country where they speak another language, that you don't know. So you'll be relying on translators in order to make your order. But don't worry, they usually get the order right, at least most of the time, depending on the translator that's available. You still wanna go? Raise your hand if you still wanna go. Okay, that's most of us, okay, that's good. Okay, so there's another catch. The coffee is not designed for our digestion. In this culture, they drink this stuff all the time, and that's why they live past 100, as I say, it's, it's really a, a cure-all. But because of that, they're used to it, so you would have to alter the recipe through translation in order to ingest it, okay? Raise your hand if you still wanna go. Okay, that's still most of us, all right. Raise your hand if, you, if you're out. Okay, we got, uh, okay, good, good chunk are already out. Okay, there's just one more catch. The, the other problem is um, they don't use mugs or cups to drink it. They have a different system. So the coffee shoots out of a hose. It's probably like, you know, maybe 10 miles per hour or so. And then you just catch it in your mouth on the other side of the room. Most people wear a poncho in order to do this. Okay, so who still wants to go? All right. All right, Roberto wants to go twice. That's nice. Okay, there's one more obstacle. So the coffee shop has been isolated from the rest of society for 3,000 years. So they have no knowledge of modern roasting techniques or knowledge of cars, or the internet, or eyeglasses. But it's still really good. Okay, who's still with me? All right, I think that's three or four. All right, who's out? That's almost everybody, wow. Wow, really? I thought you were with me. It's so good. This coffee is so good. So why do we do this exercise? Well, today we're going to examine a very, very important book known as the Bible. All right. The best-selling book of all time. It's the only book that does the old Russian reversal. What's that? What's the Russian reversal, you ask? I'm so glad you asked. Normally, you read a book, but when you crack open the Bible, this book reads you. Russian reversal, wow, right. Raise your hand 
If you've ever been reading or listening to the scriptures and the words leapt off the page or off of your phone and into your heart as if that word was for you in that moment. Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. All right, that's great. That means that it's holy and inspired scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 reminds us of this. All scripture is God-breathed and is valuable for teaching the truth, convicting of sin, correcting faults, and training in right living. Thus, anyone who belongs to God may be fully equipped for every good work. It's even better than the coffee that I just described, isn't it? Although, it doesn't say it does your taxes, but I'm sure somewhere along the line, the the word of God can help you with that. So we want this quote-unquote coffee, don't we? This liquid, this water of life. We need it. We need it, right? Okay. But there are also some obstacles. Most of it takes place halfway around the world, just like our friendly coffee shop. So the geography, the places, the culture is going to be foreign. It's written in a different language. So that means we have to rely on translation, unless we are a Hebrew scholar. Some of us are, but you know, some of us are still learning. So it's written in either Hebrew, Aramaic, or a Hebrewish form of Greek. But these are all different languages with different cultures. So whenever you read it, you're usually reading it in translation. And different languages have different ways of expressing themselves, different idioms that don't translate to other languages. A friend of mine told me a true story of someone who was trying to communicate via telephone in the days uh, when they had phones that looked like this. Raise your hand if you remember those days. Okay, very good. For those of you who don't know, these used to look more like this, and you would go like this, and you'd pick them up, right? And then you'd hang up. So this person, this man, was an English language learner, and he had a colleague that he was talking to on the phone. And the colleague said, hang on. And the colleague heard this. Click. That's what the man did. And then so they called him back. And they said, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Don't hang up. Just hang on. And the guy went, click, like that again. And he kept doing that. And so finally, they got together in person to to work out what was going on. And the guy said, well, I'm just learning English, but hang on should be this, because I'm putting the phone on the receiver, right? And hang up should be this, right? Because it's up, (laughs) right? And he's like, well, English doesn't doesn't work that way. It's just the, the prepositions, you know, it's just how how English works. There's no real reason for it. This is true for every language. They all have idioms. They all have different things that only make sense in that language. Then unless you're familiar with it or understand it or have a reliable translator, it's gonna get lost. According to the Bible Project, there are 900 different translations of the Bible into just English. Did you know that? And then you have the culture of the original writers and recipients. The Bible had originally a different audience. One of the books of the Bible is called Ephesians. Why is it called that? Because it's a letter that Paul wrote to a congregation in Ephesus. How many of us are from Ephesus? Nobody. How many of us know where Ephesus is? (laughs) By the way, okay, that's good. (laughs) It's in Greece, by the way. Okay, so Ephesians is written to a particular place to a particular people, mostly Gentiles, and it's written by a Messianic Jew. 
written by Paul. So it's going to have some certain cultural things, right? This is the, the digestion of the coffee, right? That's going to be different. It's right. It's not made for you. It was written to someone else. And then, uh, you know, there's other books like the book of Hebrews is written by a Messianic Jew to other Messianic Jews. So if that's not your culture, you know, you might have to do some, some interpreting, some interpretive moves to understand what's going on there. Different books have a different audience and different culture. Then there's the time problem. Remember I said they were stuck in 3,000 years ago? Well, these books were composed about 2,000 years ago for the Newer Testament and much more than that for the Older Testament. And then you have literary genre, okay? The cups, the way of transferring this information, that's different too, okay? Jonathan Swift wrote an essay called A Modest Proposal in Ireland in 1729. The full title is this. A modest proposal for preventing the children of poor people from being a burden to their parents or country and for making them beneficial to the public. The genre of this essay is known as satire, which means it's a gross exaggeration uh, for comedic effect and also to make a point. So what was Jonathan Swift's solution to the poverty problem? He said, we should consume the poor children in Ireland. He had recipes in there and everything. Okay, if you didn't understand that this was satire, you would be horrified. Some of you are horrified anyway. <laughs> but we have to understand this is the genre. He was making a point because he was pointing out the challenges of poverty and the mistreatment of the poor in Ireland was, was rampant. And he was just calling attention to it. So we have some obstacles between us and understanding the Bible. We have geography, time, language, culture, genre, intended audience, among others. So how do we overcome these immense obstacles to understand and apply the Bible and become transformed? It is the waters of life, right? So what do we do? We use tools. Burp, burp, Yay, tools. And we must use these tools and we must rely on the Holy Spirit to help us because the scripture is life. This is an important book, right? What if we can't walk across the globe as Gordon was saying earlier? He's like, we'll just walk across the globe. What do we do? We use a tool. We go in, a, in an airplane or something like that, okay? Or a boat. What if you can't understand someone because they're speaking a different language? What do you use? Use a tool, of translation. You find a translator. So what are some good tools to help us understand the Bible? Now, this is not an exhaustive list of all the tools to help us, but this is a start. I'm just going to start to talk about that, and I'm going to use this week's Parsha to do it. So you can start with a good commentary or a good study Bible. It can guide you. They already have these tools. Think about if you wanted to go to this coffee shop, and I said, well, I've been there before, and I have the ponchos ready, and I know all the, and I know, and I've studied this language. You would say, "Great, you can rely on me as your guide because I've been there before." Well, guess what? The rabbis and the worldwide ecclesia, the worldwide church, has been through these scriptures before, and they've studied it, and they've studied these languages, so they can be our guide. So we're not by ourselves. So we have commentaries, we have study Bibles. I like uh, the JPS commentary. I find that helpful, Jewish Publication Society, as well as uh, rabbinic commentaries. Uh, there's famous rabbis like uh, Rashi, who was a medieval rabbi. My favorite study Bible is the complete Jewish study Bible. Raise your hand if you have 
one of those. Isn't it helpful? Translated by David Stern. He's got intros to all of the books to explain it. In the beginning, he explains what the Torah is, what do we mean by inspired. So it's really, really helpful for getting that context. And also, of course, he has the Jewish New Testament commentary, which shows the Jewishness of the New Testament, which is super helpful for us in a Messianic Jewish context. I also appreciate the work of the Bible Project. Raise your hand if you've heard of them. They have helpful videos. It's co-founded by Pastor Tim Mackey, who has a PhD in the Hebrew Bible. So he's got that background as well. He's one of those folks that's gone before and studied that language. So he can, he can do that. And they have helpful videos, summaries of, of books and things like that, that I've used in, in preparation and in Torah studies. All that to say, let's dive into this week's Parsha and see if we can apply some, some tools to it. So this week's Torah portion contains, as I mentioned earlier, what's known as the Song of the Sea, or Shirat Hayam. Can you say that? Shirat Hayam. Shira is song, and Hayam is the sea. You got it, all right? So this is the song of triumph and praise that Moses and the Israelites sang after God delivered them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And Renee read a little bit of it earlier. Here are some excerpts, again, from Exodus 15. Then Moshe and the people of Israel sang this song to Adonai. I will sing to Adonai, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he threw into the sea. Yah is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, I will glorify him, my father's God, I will exalt him. Adonai is a warrior, Adonai is his name. With a blast from your nostrils, the waters piled up. The water stood up like a wall. The depths of the sea became firm ground. The enemy said, I will pursue and overtake, divide the spoil and gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword, my hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind, Ruach, and the sea covered them and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, Adonai, among the mighty? Who is like you, sublime in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? That's the mi chamocha that we did earlier. You reached out with your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your love, you led the people you redeemed. In your strength, you guided them to your holy abode. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain which is your heritage, the place, Adonai, that you made your abode, the sanctuary, Adonai, which your hands established. Adonai will reign forever and ever, for the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and with his cavalry into the sea. But Adonai brought the sea waters back upon them while the people of Israel walked on dry land in the midst of the sea. Let's start with uh, our first tool, the tool of genre. What literary genre is the song of the sea? What do you think? It is biblical poetry, okay? As is about one-third of the whole Bible, according to the Bible Project. One-third of the Bible is this particular genre, poetry. All the Psalms are biblical poetry and things like that. This week's Torah portion has the Song of the Sea in chapter 15, but before that, it has chapter 14. Isn't that amazing that that comes before it? And in chapter 14, (laughs) there's a narrative description of what happened. So you have the same story twice. Why is that? Why does the scripture do that? It tells what happened and then has a song that summarizes what happened in a poem. So that's interesting. So let's compare a little bit of the narrative and the song or poem. So this is from Exodus 14. Moshe reached his hand out over the sea 
and Adonai caused the sea to go back before the strong east wind all night. He made the sea become dry land, and its water was divided in two. And the people of Israel went into the sea on the dry ground with the water walled up for them on their right and their left. It's pretty straightforward, right? It's dramatic, but it's straightforward. Then you have the poem, the next chapter. With a blast from your nostrils, the waters piled up. The water stood up like a wall. The depths of the sea became firm ground. It's more of an image. Second one captures our attention, captures our imagination, our visual mind. This narrative followed by a dramatic poem is actually part of Egyptian literary genre where they tell the story and then they have a poem. The original author, Moses, did this to compare and contrast what was going on in the Exodus with ancient texts, such as the ancient battle of Pharaoh Ramses II against the Hittites. These are other ancient Near East documents that do the same thing. This is what the JPS Torah commentary says, quote, what distinguishes the Shira, the, the song of the sea, as it is known in the tradition from its analogs, the Egyptian you know, versions, is its dominant God-centered theme. Whereas the Egyptian models are hyperbolic praises to the superhuman heroic exploits of the pharaohs, in the Torah, it is God alone who attracts the poet's interest, unquote. So often, what the Bible does is it uses the genres of the ancient Near East, but uses them to show the uniqueness of God, of the God of Israel, as opposed to the so-called gods and the so-called superhumans in the other ancient texts. Similarly, we can use genre to understand other parts of the Bible, like the flood story. Because the flood was a historical event, many other cultures have some memory of it and some, some, some sort of document uh, of it or a text. But the details in the other texts in the ancient world are skewed. Many, they just show the gods just picking someone at random because they're fighting with each other. And like, how about that guy? He can go in the giant boat, okay? But in the Bible... The Lord chose Noah. Why? Because he was righteous and his family was righteous. To compare and contrast with these other ancient texts. In terms of the creation story, a lot of texts have a version of creation. And uh, because it obviously really happened, right? <laughs> there, was a, there was a creation of all of this. But in a lot of these stories, what happens is the, there's powerful forces that are fighting against, really struggling against the forces of chaos in order to establish order. But in the Bible, what do we see? It's not like that at all. There is chaos, but the Lord is far and above, way above the forces of chaos and, you know, to bring order. And he just says it and it is. It's very, very different from these other texts. It's like a Yeshua faith musician who uses a genre of music that is popular in order to reach those that listen to that style of music, but praising the uniqueness of the Lord in that style. That's why you have reggae gospel and you have Christian rap and you even have Christian metal and hard rock, right? <laughs> Amy knows about that. <laughs> Heavenly metal. All right, there you go. <laughs> it exists because that is the genre that they're using to connect with those folks. And that's exactly what the Bible writers did. In terms of the Shirat Hayam, the Song of the Sea, the poem also gives us a dramatic sense of how involved that God is to rescue Israel and to rescue us compared to the narrative. What do we see in the narrative in chapter 14? It talks about Moses a lot, that Moses raised his hand, 
we didn't read this, but it talks about the cloud. There was a cloud in between them that protected them all night so that they could have some time to rest and then go through the sea. It talks about the angel of the Lord. It talks about um, there was darkness and all sorts of things. And it talks a lot about Moses because Moses had a big part in this. But the song doesn't mention Moses. Why is that? Because the song is about the Lord. The poem exalts the Lord only, showing how important this event was to defining Israel as belonging to the Lord. We are his rescued people and defining God as a rescuer. This was something new that Israel did not yet know. This is something I mentioned in my last sermon. They knew before this that God was the creator and here they learned that God was also a redeemer, that he was intimately involved in their lives to save them. It's a new revelation of God. He is involved in our pains. Exodus 3, 7 says this, Adonai said, I've seen how my people are being oppressed in Egypt and heard their cry for release from their slave masters because I know their pain. Now, I think President Clinton said something like this once. I feel your pain, right? I don't do a good Arkansas accent. But if he can say that, then right? how much more do we know the Lord feels our pain, knows our pain, and therefore responds, therefore rescues. He made us and he is our creator, but also he is near us to sustain us and deliver us from evil. It's not just like God started the world and was like, okay, I created this thing and uh, good luck to you guys, right? That's not, that's not the God that we worship. He's creator and rescuer. And this brings us to another tool we can use besides the genre. We can find connections to other parts of scripture and connections to our regular liturgy. Remember, liturgy is part of worship. It's avodah, liturgeo in the Greek, which is the priestly service. Again, a commentary or study Bible is helpful for drawing out these connections to seeing, okay, this relates to this, this other part of the text and they can inform one another and interpret one another. Also, we can read different parts of the Bible, we on our own, at the same time in order to get a broad scope and make these connections for ourselves. There's actually a bookmark system that I use where I have either eight or 10 different sections with little bookmarks and I have a little group of people or person that I pray for and then I read that section and then I'll read a different section. So you can get a broader scope of the Bible that way. If you're interested in this system, I can send you the blank bookmarks with just the books on it and you can fill in who you wanna pray for. And if you email me at rabbidavidwine at gmail.com, I can send you the, the blank bookmarks to try to find those connections for yourself. So now the song part is actually part of the daily morning prayers in the Siddur, in the Jewish prayer book. It's in the section called the Pesuke de Zimra, which means verses of praise. And it's in the daily prayers. It's also in the Shabbat prayers. So we could have done it this morning. We didn't do all the prayers in here. We'd be here, you know, a long time. But it is in there, in the beginning part. This is the early section that leads into the Shema. We have the Song of the Sea in there. So religious Jews recite this Song of the Sea how often? Every day. And because it's in our liturgy, the song anchors us to God's salvation every morning. We proclaim daily that God is our savior, our protector and warrior against the forces of evil. It also reminds us that before we ask God for things, it is fitting to do what? to praise him. 
because this is the order in our liturgy. We are in this part, and in the daily shachari blessings, we proclaim that God is our savior, that he saved us in the song of the sea. And then later on, we ask for things, we ask for healing and such. The Talmud backs up this idea with scripture in Barachot 32a. This is what the rabbinic writing says. Based on Moses' prayers, Rabbi Simlai taught, one should always set forth praise of the Holy One, blessed be he, and then pray for his own needs. From where do we derive that one should conduct himself in this manner? From Moses, as it is written in his prayer, and I beseech the Lord at that time. And immediately afterward in his prayer it is written, Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in the heavens or on earth who can perform deeds such as yours in your might? Deuteronomy 3.24. Here Moses began with a praise of God and it is only thereafter that it is written, Please let me pass over and see the good land that is beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and the Lebanon. Deuteronomy 3.25. That's the next verse. Only after his praise did Moses make his personal request. Thus, because of its place in the Jewish prayer book, the Song of the Sea reminds us to begin our day with what? God's greatness and God's goodness in our sight. We're keeping that ever before us. Another time we bring up this event, and in general the Exodus, is during when? When would we be talking about this? For Passover, exactly, during the Passover Seder. We do this every year. Why do we do it? To pass on the faithfulness of God in a ritual meal, to tell the next generation, this is what God did for us. So we can connect the passage to the liturgy of our people and the festival calendar, but we can also connect it to other parts of the Bible. When the Bible has similar words or narratives in different places, it's kind of like a hyperlink on the internet. You know that little, if you put your mouse over it, it'll take you somewhere else. There's a connection with that word. Sometimes we can think of the Bible like that. If there's the word echad, where does the word echad, one, appear in different times? And do they inform the meaning of the others? In similar narratives, similar stories, do they inform one or the other? In fact, they do. It's an important part of Bible interpretation. Check out this other part with similar words because it informs what you're reading. You want to you try to make that connection. Some study Bibles can do this, but also if you have a cross-reference website like biblehub.com, it could show you where a particular Hebrew or Greek word appears in other parts of the Bible. How many of you have ever looked into something like that where you see where the different words connect? Yeah, that's good. So this text connects to a couple things. The crossing over the Jordan, that was with Joshua. It was a very similar thing that happened with the stopping of the waters of the river. They were carrying the Ark of the Covenant over. It connects to certain Psalms of praise. So we're going to look at Psalm 77. It connects to the Haftarah portion in Judges 4 through 5. That's the story of Deborah and Barak and their liberation from the oppression of the Canaanites. This is a connection that the rabbis have already made. Every Torah portion has a haftarah portion that the rabbis chose because there's some sort of thematic connection. And that's exactly what we see. And I'm also going to read a little bit of the Song of the Lamb in Revelation 15. So let's take a look at some snippets of these and see if we can find some connections. So this is from Joshua 4. And they take 12 stones to, they've just gone through the Jordan River, similar to how they went through the Reed Sea in Exodus, and they took some 12 stones to remember this. These 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua picked up at Gilgal. 
Then he said to the people of Israel, in the future, when your children ask their fathers what these stones mean, you are to explain it to them by saying, Israel came up over this Jordan on dry land. For Adonai your God dried up the water in the Jordan from in front of you until you had crossed, just as Adonai your God did to the Sea of Suf. He's connecting it to what they went through a generation earlier, which he dried up from in front of us until we had crossed. From this, all the peoples of the earth can know that the hand of Adonai is strong and you can fear or revere Adonai your God forever. Here we have the importance of remembering and connecting the saving event with other events. How are they remembering this? Because they set up a stone monument with 12 stones to remember. Because the first event, all that generation, they died in the wilderness. So we have to remember God's saving events and tell the next generation and tell others and encourage them. So this is from Psalm 77. This is also similar. I commune with myself, my spirit inquires. Will Adonai reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his grace permanently disappeared? Is his word to all generations done away? Has God forgotten to be compassionate? Has he in anger withheld his mercy, Salah? Then I add, that's my weakness, supposing the Most High's right hand could change. So this is the psalmist is going through it, going through difficulty and suffering and wondering, is the Lord faithful? So I will remind myself of Yah's doings. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on your work and think about what you have done. God, your way is in holiness. What God is as great as God? You are the God who does wonders. You revealed your strength to the peoples. With your arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. The water saw you, God. The water saw you and writhed in anguish, agitated to its depths. The clouds poured water, the skies thundered, and your arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightning flashes lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Again, biblical poetry designed to get us an image, and the image is designed to get us to think about God saving us, God's faithfulness. Your way went through the sea, your path through the turbulent waters, but your footsteps could not be traced. You led your people like a flock under the care of Moshe and Aharon. Again, we have a reminder of God's salvation when we're down and out to encourage ourselves in the Lord. This is from Judges 5, starting in verse 2. Deborah and Barak sang another song to God for their victory over the Canaanites, but there's a lot of similarities. When leaders in Israel dedicate themselves and the people volunteer, you should all bless Adonai. Hear, kings, listen, princes, I will sing to Adonai. I will sing praise to Adonai, the God of Israel. Adonai, when you went out from Seir, when you marched out from the field of Edom, the earth quaked and the sky shook. Yes, the clouds poured down torrents. The mountains melted at the presence of Adonai at Sinai before Adonai, the God of Israel. Again, this is the Haftarah portion. This is the one that the rabbis chose to connect with the Song of the Sea. We were reminded of God's powers over the forces of chaos to bring creation, to bring about rescue. Yes, Deborah and Moses were leaders and the people had to obey the Lord. But is that what these songs are really about? Are they praising Deborah and Barak and, and Moses? Not really. Sometimes they get an honorable mention, let's say. But the songs are about the glory of God. There is an instruction here to give God the glory for what he has done. We notice that earlier in our service, we have something called the Baruch Hashem page for testimonies. Why is that? Why do we do that? Well, it's because of, it was actually came from a suggestion of one of our frequent visitors. She noticed that we had a Misha Berach 
list for healing prayer. And she pointed out that if we shared testimonies of healing, that it would encourage the community and it would give glory to God. And I realized, you know what? That's a good idea. I think you're right. So this is precisely what the songs do in the scripture. They give glory to God and they encourage us. We remember what God has done. Finally, here's the song of the Lamb in Revelation 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, a great and wonderful one, seven angels with the seven plagues that are the final ones, because with them God's fury is finished. I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire. Those defeating the beast, its image, and the number of its name were standing by the sea of glass, holding harps which God had given them. They were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Let's say this together. Great and wonderful are the things you have done, Adonai, God of heaven's armies. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Adonai, who will not fear and glorify your name, because you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. This tells us that on the great day of the Lord, at the end of the age, according to Revelation, God will just pull another Exodus. It's like Exodus 2.0. You saw the plagues, right? So instead of 10 plagues, it's seven plagues because it's the final, the final judgment. And what is he going to do? He's going to deal with evil and he's going to rescue his people. Notice not just the plagues, but there's a lot of parallels. There's a judgment and then there's a rescuing of God's people. And then there's a song, a song of praise. All of these songs look back on the Exodus event and the song of the sea as anchor points because these are defining moments in our history. When the Lord rescued us and took us to be his people, that meant we belonged to him, that we were forever changed. Just like when the Lord rescued us from the slavery of sin by dying on the tree, we were forever changed, we belonged to him, we were bought with a price. Therefore, we honor God with our bodies. We honor God with everything that we are. And we sing to him, that's why we sing praises to him this morning because he is worthy, he has rescued us. God continues to rescue us in similar ways, not just Yeshua on the tree, but daily he rescues us. And when we recall what he has done, it gives us hope and it gives us encouragement that he can and will do it again. Amen? So let's summarize our tools so far, because we have a few. So some of our tools are the Holy Spirit. We rely on <laughs> the Spirit to help us interpret and understand. We have commentaries, those that have gone before, halfway around the world to this other coffee shop. They know what's what, and they speak the language, so that's helpful. We have study Bibles. We have the rabbis like Rashi. We have resources like the Bible Project. We have the literary genre, and we have connections to our liturgy and our calendar and to other scriptures that are similar. And there are many others that I haven't gotten to yet. There's the structure of the passage itself. If you look at the Song of the Sea, there's a lot of actually references to the creation story. And there's a pair, there's three pairs, and then a seventh one to show God's order and dealing with chaos and things like that. There's where it fits in the narrative of the whole Bible, right? What is God doing in the whole narrative of the scriptures? Obviously, he's bringing salvation, and you can look at the covenants that way, and, and there's different ways to do that. You can look at the probable intention of the author. Unfortunately, I was not able to get Moses' intention. I tried to call him on the phone, but uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't picking up. So that's lost, but we can, we can try to figure that out, the original intent 
of the writing. So that's helpful. We can do traditional Jewish interpretive modes, like uh, there's one called Pardes, which is actually an acronym. It stands for this. Peshat is the plain or literal meaning. It just, you know, it is what it is. There's Remez, which is a hint or allegory or symbolic meaning. There's a Darash, which is a sought out meaning, a Midrash or reading between the lines. A lot of the rabbinic writings have midrash where the Bible can be very terse. It can be very brief sometimes. So it's like, well, whatever happened to that person or, or, or why is this? So it sort of explores that in a more creative way. You know, it's not on the same level as scripture, but it can be helpful to understanding scripture. And then finally, we have sof, which is the, the mystical meaning. These are folks that meditate on a single verse for a long time and have a sort of encounter with the Lord, which we understand in both Jewish and Christian traditions is, is something that happens. We do, we do encounter the Lord. This is just another mode. I will attempt to address these other tools in more detail in a future sermon, hopefully next week. If you want to, you want to hear about it next week? All right. But for now, let's summarize what we were able to glean from these tools with our passage. The biblical authors use genre in the Bible to show the uniqueness of God compared to other systems, powers, and ancient heroes. The genre of poetry captures our attention and helps us to visualize and remember God's saving efforts. And we remember these times regularly in order to encourage ourselves and to encourage others and to give glory to God. That's why we say Baruch Hashem. Finally, we see how God is intimately involved in our lives and is not just a creator, but also a rescuer. May we make use of these tools and insights to regularly read and listen to the scriptures so that we can be transformed and encouraged and so that we can see God's faithfulness and proclaim his faithfulness to others in songs uh, and poems and just telling our stories. Amen. Avinu, thank you for your faithfulness to us and for your scriptures. There are some obstacles to understanding it, but it's not insurmountable because you've also given us hope. You've given us your spirit. You've given us tools. You've given us those that have gone before. So we ask that you help us to understand it and apply your word and help us to be faithful stewards of your scriptures, of your Torah. And I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful, that you help and remind us of the good things you have done, the rescuing that you've done, the rescuing from the slavery of sin that you did on the tree through Yeshua, the Messiah, your son. And that's a, a great testimony, a great Baruch Hashem that we can share with others. So give us boldness to do so. And in Yeshua's name we pray, amen. Amen.